Hey guys, this episode of Diary of a Working Actress is sponsored by MoviePass. MoviePass is America's number one movie subscription service. If you want to see the hottest blockbusters this summer at a low price, head on over to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress to start your subscription today. Now, let's get into the show. If you are listening to this, thank you for bearing with me on my podcast hiatus, but I am back. There are tons of things to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. There is another name to add to the very, very long, extensive list of victims who have been murdered by the police, um, I guess, law enforcement in this country, people who are hired to protect us and serve us. Um, once again, we've been let down by that institution. And so the new name is Alton Sterling. He was murdered in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for selling CDs. Um, But there's a lot of other pieces of of story apparently out there. One being that he was charged with sexual assault. He was a, a listed sex offender because of sexual assault. Let's go right out there and say it was because he was 18 years old and dating a 15 year old at the time happens people are in high school whatever things got twisted and so that's a story you'll hear he's also had some run-ins with the law like a lot of our brothers and cousins and uncles and friends that we love but none of those things mean that he deserved to be shot in the chest six times while his arms were pinned and his legs were pinned beneath him in a way in which he could not have reached for a weapon even if he had one once again we're being told that there's a reason why your life can be taken in the street And why after your life is taken, you remain in the street as kind of like a warning sign, as a semblance of what's to come for the next person, the next name, the next hashtag. And today we were inundated with his wife on the news um, speaking openly about how she is now a single mother to five children. And if God forbid something comes up about those children one day, I'm sure we'll hear all about how they were fatherless. And um, also the video of his murder, two different angles of the video of his murder are floating around the internet. Really, really hard to watch. I completely understand why people want to show the videos. I get it in one way that, you know, it's to really impress in people's minds the the horror of being murdered by people by the people who are supposed to protect you but i don't think it's doing what you think it's doing i think the people who want to believe that the police are in their rights to murder civilians on the street are never going to care about the videos or about the proof there's always going to be a, but if he wasn't, but if he had done, if he hadn't done this 10 years ago, maybe he wouldn't have been murdered in the street. There's always going to be a justification for it. So, you know, the videos for me are always a little um, triggering. And so I just decided not to watch them, period, this time. I I, um, I haven't really been able to shake any of the murders, but I think the last, like, picture or video or anything that I watched was Mike Brown 
um, just his body being in the street and left there. And I can't shake that image. I'll never be able to shake that image. And I just, I can't keep adding images to it. Um, even just the steel images that before the pictures even show, before the videos, I'm sorry, even play, are, yeah, they're traumatic enough. I, I don't need to see this man die in order to know that he was wrongfully murdered um, in the street and that he's never gonna go home to his children or to his wife or to his family and friends who love him. Um, you know, it's never gonna, it's never gonna be right. And I don't need to see him shot six times on camera to know that and get that. And I think death videos, like these murder videos have made us unreal in a way to people. I think, you know, it's almost like a sport. It's like entertainment. It's like we're all gladiators watching. I mean, we're all audiences watching the gladiators um, kill like normal people, not other gladiators, but they're just killing like, you know, people who should be sitting in the audience and enjoying the show um, are now being put in the ring with the gladiators and they have no weapons and they have no protection. They have no armor. They have nothing. We're just all watching. It's like a sport. It's like a spectacle. And I feel like our pain is kind of commercialized. And, you know, we're like the hottest ticket in the world every time one of us dies. Um, you know, it's constant, constant news coverage, constant, constant showing the video, replaying it, replaying it from every angle, slowing it down, making sure that in your mind you start to go, well, these people are inhuman in some way. And... You know, so when they die, it's just like watching a dog or a lion or a gorilla be shot, except people are way more upset about that than they are about watching us die. Um, this is just, this isn't a test. You know, this isn't a game. This isn't, it's happens too many times for it to be, oh, it's just one bad apple. You know, you know one bad apple spoils the bunch. That's the rest of that saying. And so the bunch are the cops who see one person get away with it and then realize, oh, I can just do the same thing. We don't even have to, I don't even have to watch the news to know what the story is going to be. I know that they're going to shoot him. They're going to villainize him. They're going to put his mugshot on TV if he has one. They're going to go through her high school records or high school Facebook profile pictures and find one of her smoking weed or throwing up a middle finger if she has one. They're going to make all the excuses in the book and they're going to give the officers however many days to come up with a story that sounds good enough or believable enough for the rest of the people in the country who think it's okay to kill black people repeatedly in the streets to believe and to stand behind and to get in co on comment sections on blogs and say, well, you know, if he wasn't resisting or if black people would stop killing each other in Chicago, because that's always what people point to. There's just always going to be a justification every single time. And we all know it. I mean, to the point where we we know what the rollout is going to be in terms of getting the media on the police officer's side. We know what it's going to be. You know, it's come to the point where we even start saying, okay, let's circulate these pictures of that, of the, of that victim as a family person, as a scholar, as a graduate, because we know that by the time their pictures hit the news cycle, it's going to be a mugshot. 
or it's going to be some picture that paints that person as a thug or as a person whose life didn't matter enough for police officers to come on the scene and do what they're trained to do, which is de-escalate a situation and make sure everyone gets home alive, not just themselves. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I urge my friends who are not black and my listeners who are not black, you know, tell your black friends that you love them, that you support them and all those things in private. But when these things happen in public, we're watching you. We're watching you be silent. We're watching you call it an unfortunate situation. We're watching you say, well, let's wait till all the details come out. We're watching you say, well, it's not always about race. We're watching you excuse it. We're watching you say nothing. We're watching you go on with your life as if it doesn't affect you. And it changes how we see you. It just does. And if you're really in support of us as a community, as a people, then when these things happen, you need to educate the people around you, you know, your family members, your friends, your colleagues who think that this is laughable, who think this is funny and fun and who thinks that all black people are just thugs and criminals or whatever, remind them that a young white boy walked into a church and killed nine black people while they were praying. And when the police came to the scene, knowing that he was armed, knowing that he was dangerous, he still got to go to prison alive. He's sitting in prison right now and those nine bodies are rotting in the cemetery a year later. And he's still just sitting in prison waiting to see what the outcome is going to be. So we know that police officers are trained enough to come onto a scene, de-escalate it, and take violent criminals to prison alive. These people, Trayvon, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, um, Eric Gordon, Alton Sturt, like, I mean, these people are not even violent. They're not even violent people. And this whole thing of, you know, why are you resisting? Resistance isn't saying, what did I do? Why am I being told to get on the ground? What, why are you running up on me? Why do you already have your weapons drawn? That's not resisting. That's asking a question. That's well within your rights as a citizen. And if you were treated the way black people and brown people in this country have been treated by the police for years, as soon as you see police officers, run, police officers running towards you, you do not feel safe. You feel afraid. You feel scared. Alton Sterling has seen all the videos and seen all the pictures and everything else that I've seen, that you've seen, that we've all seen. So when he's seeing police officers run up to him, he's seeing his life flash before his eyes. He's not thinking, oh my gosh, they must be here to save the day. He's thinking, I could not go home to my children. And he's absolutely fucking right because he did not go home to his children and he never will. So when you're talking about this, whether it's in mixed company or if it's just in the company of people who look like you, make sure that you're saying things that are true, that are honest, that speak from the point of view of the people that you know in this country who are not white and don't have the privilege of whiteness working to keep them safe every day. Like we literally have to worry about making it home every day, not to mention having children and having to explain to them that you can't be 12 years old playing with a fake gun in a park by yourself. Maybe you wanna grow up to be a cop or whatever it is and that a cop will come on the scene and kill you in four seconds. Four seconds, a 12 year old little boy. Like this is, this is real and we, we are in a war that we're not prepared for. We're literally bringing a knife to a gunfight as a community. We don't have anyone to 
to be there on our behalf to to war for us. We have to war for ourselves and we need you guys to, you know, speak up in your meetings and when someone makes a joke that's um, off color, <laughs> no pun intended, for you to say like, no, that's not funny. No, this is a life of ma a matter of life and death for people who don't look like us and don't exist in the world the way that we do. Um, so, you know, think about it, consider it. Um, the one good thing that um, has happened in the light of that, going into industry things. Issa Rae, uh, creator of Aqua Black Girl, star of the new HBO show Insecure that'll come out um, in the fall, has started a GoFundMe account for Sterling's five children who are now without a father. Um, the last time I checked, they were very, very close to their $200,000 goal. Let's help them surpass that goal. Give what you can, whatever it is, $5, $2, $1, doesn't matter. Give something. It's a GoFundMe account. You go on Issa Rae's Twitter, on her Facebook. The link is there. You can click on it. You can give money. You can give something to that family because they're going to need it. It's going to be a long, long road for that family as their father gets dragged through the mud. His 15-year-old son was sobbing, weeping. That is a high school-age child, and he has to go through the next two years in high school and the rest of his life without his father, without someone there to guide him and, and talk him through a very cruel and cold world. He doesn't have that anymore. So think about it, give something, give whatever you can. You know, if you don't, if you're not able to give right now, definitely share the link, do what you can, because it's, it's going to be a long road for them. And, you know, prayer is beautiful. I think it's wonderful. If you believe in something higher than yourself, to ask and seek for guidance and for love and for peace and healing for the Sterling family. But that's not going to be enough. You know, we've been praying for a very long time. We were praying in the 60s. We were praying in slavery. We were praying. We were, we've been praying for a very long time for things to change, and, and they haven't really. Um, so just don't become complacent in thinking that, you know, every time something like this happens, that at some point people are going to step up and fight for us because we've seen that that's not going to happen. So things like this, like raising money for the families and getting that out there and getting it moving and letting them know that they're not alone, it helps. It worked. We saw it with Tamir Rice's mother. She was able to, you know, pay for the mounting legal costs um, that came with her son being murdered, her 12-year-old baby being murdered. It is going to be a long road for every single family. So, um, like I said, the GoFundMe information is on Issa Rae's Twitter and on her Facebook. You can give money to the Sterling family. Um, the goal was 200000 They were very, very close to that the last time I checked. But let's do more. Let's surpass even that because we can do it. Um, so, that's that. Um, also, I think every time one of these things happens, there's this, like, influx of black people who feel like this is a good time to talk about black on black crime and to act like throughout the year and throughout history period black people haven't come together to combat that violence in our own communities and it's just not true the idea of black on black crime is a myth people kill it's the law of proximity people kill who they're closest to 
there's very little chance that a black person who's living on the east side of Detroit is going to really have beef with somebody out in Saginaw County because, hey, I don't ever come in contact with you. So why would I ever have enough beef with you or enough angst against you that I would want to murder you or hurt you or have any physical violence against you? That was what hoods, projects, ghettos, that was the whole point of it to put people right on top of each other, to make it so that they feel like they have to push one person down in order to get themselves up. All of it was done on purpose. So to perpetuate the idea that because we kill each other, because we don't get along, because we're not the uh, wonderful display of blackness, because we're not wearing suits, because we don't pray, because we don't do this, we don't come together, we don't support this, we don't support that, that's the reason why we're being killed in the streets. It's not. It's not. That's absolutely BS. And stop saying it. Stop saying it. Yes, it's absolutely okay to hold black people accountable for the futures of our community, for the future of our children, to to say, you know, we have to support our businesses and support um, our educators and and support our entertainers in a way outside of just going and buying their CDs or going to a concert, but also supporting their endeavors outside of that, whatever endeavors they have in the community. It's totally okay to hold us accountable for that. But to hold us responsible for our own murders at the hands of people who are are supposed to protect us and serve us, who we are paying to protect us and serve us, is asinine. And every time you write that, every time you say that, there's some person who's a racist or a bigot who's using your words against your own community. They're throwing those words back into the faces of people like Trayvon Martin's mother and Mike Brown's mother. And we saw it. We saw Darren Wilson write an op-ed for the New York Times in which he blamed Mike Brown's own mother for him murdering her son. And you know what helps with that is you writing silly shit like black people have to stop killing black people and then white people will stop killing us. That's insane. Stop writing it. It's not true. We are not the only race of people who kill each other. When kids go shoot up colleges and everything, we don't call it white on white crime, although that's what it is. We just say it's a terrible thing. It should never happen. What are we going to do about it? And that's what we say in this situation. A murderer is a murderer is a murderer. But the bottom line with police, police brutality specifically is that we are paying them to protect us. That's their job. That is their one and only job is to keep us all safe, to make sure everyone is abiding to the laws that are in place to keep us all safe. And they're not doing that. They're dropping the ball. That's why we're saying Black Lives Matter. That's why we get up in arms, all that. But it's also not true that no one's saying anything about black on black crime. These community organizations have been around forever to talk about this. When gangs were killing each other, I remember people being on TV talking about gang violence and how it needs to stop. We have songs that will live forever that were specifically about keeping the peace and, and coming together to fight the real enemy. These things have been talked about in our community for so long. So stop per perpetuating the idea that they haven't been. Because it's absolutely ridiculous. And you're just a part of the problem. Because if you really cared about black on black crime, you would be showing me your receipts 
on the community organizations that you're a part of, the kids that you're mentoring, the marches and protests that you've been a part of to talk about it where nobody showed up or this entertainer was asked to come and they didn't come. But that's not true. You're saying it because you think it's smart, because you think it's going to make you seem like you're a part of a way of thinking that nobody else has thought about. We've heard it every single time, not only from you, but from your ignorant mamas and daddies and cousins and whoever as well. We've heard it. You're not smart. You're not special. You're not saying anything that we've never thought of before. You're just wasting space. So either be a part of the solution or don't say anything at all because you're not helping by perpetuating a myth that is used to excuse the violence that is done against our community all the time. So stop it and check your people about it. If you have friends who post that type of stuff, check them about it. Let them know, no, man, that's not right. That's not true. It's ridiculous. And it has to stop. It just has to stop. So that's the last thing I want to say about it. This is a heavy way to come back to podcasting. But hey, here we are. Um, I just finished <laughs> Orange is the New Black, the new season. And um, their basic storyline really revolved around Black Lives Matter and all the different internalized racism that happens in every culture that is not white. And um, it was heavy. It was heavy. Um, there was also a thing of like, well, there are no Black writers in their writing room. So that made the season a lot harder to digest. And I think it started a really good conversation about, you know, what we expect out of shows that deal with topics like this. But I did watch the season and I had very conflicting feelings. There were certain things I really, really enjoyed. And there were a lot of things I felt very uncomfortable with um, because, you know, I did feel like the Black voices on the show were being written from a place of detachment. And so it was hard to get into it, but I finished it um, and I'm, I would really be interested to hear what you guys have to say about the new season of Orange is the New Black. Did you like it? Did you not like it? You know, let me know. Um, in other news, <laughs> the new Iron Man is going to be a black girl. She looks very, very awesome. There's pictures of the new um, doctoring of the Iron Man character. She's 15 years old and she's an MIT student, which means she's like a hella sweet wonderful like IT woman who probably is going to be super super dope and um we're hoping that this actually turns into like a film I think that's a little bit of a stretch because I don't see Robert Downey Jr. you know really passing on the Iron Man suit to a black woman but it would be amazing if it actually happened but it's really cool it looks really cool and um hopefully you know, with the excitement surrounding Black Panther, we may be able to see glimpses of her um, somewhere in the Marvel Universe. I hope I'm saying the right universe because I know that you comic book fans are like really, really serious about that. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I'm pretty sure it's Marvel. Um, in the sports world, uh, Kevin Durant is a Golden State Warrior. There's a lot of talk about loyalty and whatnot in sports, but I think we can all agree that a few years ago, or I don't even know how long ago now, um, LeBron James kind of created a generation of players who have loyalty to themselves first and foremost. 
And now those players go, I'm gonna be in the prime of my career in a little bit, or I'm already in the prime of my career and I wanna be a champion. And I'm gonna go play in a place that I know I can be a champion. I know I can win a a ring. I don't care about retiring with the same team that I came in with, or maybe I do, but I can always go back to that team. Um, I would rather be a champion because nobody can ever take that away from me. So we got what we got. There's a new NBA. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of this happening for a long time. There's been a crazy, a lot of trades. Dwight Howard is now, I think, in Atlanta, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't keep up with Dwight Howard because I can't stand him. I'm a Lakers fan. And um, Dwayne Wade is now a Chicago Bull, which is interesting because Dwayne Wade is from Chicago. So he kind of returns home. Derrick Rose gets the boot and ends up in New York. Um, It seemed like Jimmy Butler was going to have his hands completely empty in Chicago, but he he inherits inherits a uh, aging guard who had a pretty decent season, but hey, it is what it is. Um, Time waits for no man. So that should be interesting to watch. And um, yeah, but by far, I mean, the biggest story is Kevin Durant being Golden State Warrior going to a team that he just lost to after having a 3-1 lead on them. And um, it will be very interesting to see what happens in this new season. I think Golden State is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal team. Definitely, I think Cleveland will probably make some moves. But I'm really hoping to see Cleveland and Golden State go at it for a third time. And um, I want Golden State to come out of that victorious if it does happen. And uh, I think this the NBA season will probably have the biggest views of a long time because so much has happened and so many players have gone and joined up with different teams. Ray Allen is reported to be coming back to the NBA. We don't know what team he's going to play for. Golden State wants him. That would be interesting to have like another veteran on that team. Not only another veteran, another veteran who can shoot the ball in the way that Golden State can. Um, I personally would love to see them have a record-breaking NBA season again, but I wanted to end in a ring. Um, So let me know who you're rooting for. Let me know if your team got blown up. My hearts and prayers are with Russell Westbrook and all the fans in OKC. I know that's going to be a tough thing for them. Hopefully, Russie stays, but I wouldn't bet on that. Russell Westbrook seems like the kind of guy who's like, oh, (laughs) are we switching sides? So, um... Good luck on that, OKC fans. I know a lot of y'all were all up in my Twitter mentions talking junk to me about Golden State. And, um, hey, Golden State may not have won the ring, but we beat y'all. So that's what it is. And, um, yeah, I mean, the NBA was very exciting last season. My favorite player of all time. Retired, Kobe Bryant, and... um, So, yeah, I'm just here waiting for the Lakers to rebuild. But in the meantime, I really like watching the Warriors play. They're tons of fun. And um, I love that, you know, they were the underdog and everybody loved them. And as soon as they got really good, everybody hated them. So now I really got to go hard for them because I just think it's hilarious that people hate them, like viciously hate them, hate Steph Curry, hate Aisha Curry, hate the babies. Like, it just did a complete uh, 360. Is that, is that the right way to say it? 
Yeah, I guess <laughs> everything turned around from loving to hating them. So now I really, really, really want to see them be as good as they can be. And picking up Kevin Durant is a huge, huge thing. So we shall see. Uh, I think that just about does it. I mean, I've talked for a very long time already. So we're going to go to a little bit of a break here. And then we'll be right back with uh, answers from an actress. Hey guys, I always get tons of questions about my skincare routine, and I love to tell you guys a little bit about natural ways to keep your skin glowing and camera ready and all that wonderful stuff. Creamy's Collections is a wonderful vegan, 100% natural skincare company. I'm absolutely in love with their Lemon Honey Face Wash and Lemon Honey Face Scrub, as well as the Rose Water Toner and the Bedtime Oil. And you guys have to check it out. You can go over to creamiescollection.com. That's creamies with the K, K-R-E-A-M-I-E-S collection.com. You can hit them up on Instagram. Let them know that I sent you and you heard about it here on Diary of a Working Actress. Get that skincare. Get some good products that don't have a whole bunch of harmful chemicals in them. And get your face on point, makeup free for the summer. And now, let's get back into the show. All right, guys, so I'm back, and it's time for answers from an actress. You can always send your questions to diaryofaworkingactress at gmail.com. Some of you submit them through Facebook or through Twitter. You can also do that. But the best way is diaryofaworkingactress at gmail.com. So this is a question that I got a ton, a ton, a ton when I was not doing any podcasts. And I got this one the other day when I said I was going to do a new show. This week and why so long between episodes is the question. Honestly, you know, I just, I've spent a long time, like the last couple of years, getting used to feeling like my voice matters and that people actually want to hear the things that I have to say, whether it's written words or, you know, vocalizing them out loud. Um, you know, I, I have to say, like, when I am going through any type of personal disappointment or professional like rejection, I find it a little bit difficult to really feel like the things that I say are valuable or can be of service to anyone. And I, you know, I really just thought like, who cares? Who cares what I have to say? Like I'm not on a TV show or, you know, I mean, I am on a show, thank God. And I have been able to work and I do have people who, know who I am and go to bat for me but you know I'm not a star or anything like that and I just thought you know who cares and who wants to hear what I have to say and it really was like you guys still sending me emails or still tweeting me and saying you know what's the next episode or listening to the old um, episodes and sending me questions and comments on there and going to movie pass and all those things really helped me to know that you guys were listening and wanted to hear what I had to say. But honestly, that's the reason why I just, at first I was just kind of like feeling very dejected and kind of down on myself. And I just didn't want to have that energy out there. And then after that, I was kind of like, well, you know, yeah, who cares? Who wants to hear what I have to say? So it was a journey for me to get back and to do the podcast and all that. And I'm here. Um, and I'm glad to be back and to be able to share that truth because that's honestly all it was. And um, I hope that going forward, I'm able to keep that in check for myself and, and for you guys, because I appreciate you listening and taking time to be here with me. 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> moving on to question number two. I got this question like, I guess about two weeks ago now from someone who watched an interview that I did with Black and Sexy TV about Chef Julian and Yasmin, my character. And the question is, do you really think you can date a friend's ex regarding my character, Yasmin? Um, I think the rule on dating exes is very loose because I think depending on the ex, it doesn't really matter. Like if it was someone you dated in middle school, no, it doesn't matter. But if you're dating your friend's first love or, you know, dating the person that your friend lost their virginity to or something like that, then you might be a skank. I don't know. You know, and that would be something that you have to discuss with that friend first. But once again, with Yasmin and Mo specifically, they were never friends. Like they were friends through the guy in the picture. And so she would have no loyalty to Mo. But in general, I don't think friends date friends' exes unless it's something like I said before, like something very minor, like, oh, we dated for two weeks back in our sophomore year of college. Um, I definitely don't want to date anybody that my friend has been intimate with, probably. Um, unless, like I said before, it was like a, you know, high school romance type thing, or maybe even a college romance type thing, as long as it wasn't serious. I think there may be some room in there, but I personally don't date my friend's exes because it's just strange and weird. And I don't want to imagine that a friend of mine has already kissed or been intimate or whatever with the person that I want or want to be with in a serious way, especially because we're all moving into the age of like, you may be dating the person that you marry. And it's kind of weird in family functions years from now, if, you know, auntie such and such used to date your daddy back in the day. Like, I don't know, it's kind of weird. But that's my take on it. But specifically about my character, Yasmin, um, her and Mo were never friends. So, and Mo even admits it. I really want y'all to go watch this episode because Mo even admits that they weren't even that cool. So I'm not sure why Yasmin got, you know, this name of being like the girl code or reputation of being the girl who didn't follow girl code because that's BS. So that's my answer to that question. And um, yeah, I think it's time to take a little break and then we'll be back with this week's diary entry. All right, guys, this episode of Diary of a Working Actress is sponsored by MoviePass. MoviePass is America's number one movie subscription service. If you want to see all the biggest blockbusters this summer, like Suicide Squad, um, which I'm very, very excited about, you can head on over to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress to start your subscription today. You can see unlimited movies in theaters all summer by taking me up on this wonderful offer, courtesy of my pals at MoviePass. Now, let's get back into the show. Hey guys, so it's time for this week's diary entry. Um, I actually had something prepared that I specifically that I was going to talk about. And as I went to my computer to get my notes and pull my notes and look at them before I came back. Um, I saw that another person had been murdered by the police already. It hasn't even been a full 48 hours. And there's already another hashtag, another name. Um, I don't really know what to say. Like I had this journal entry prepared. And now all I can say is, 
you know, self-care is really important right now, especially for creative people, especially for creative people of color. Um, cry or scream or do whatever you need to do. Don't watch the video of Philando Castile being murdered or having after he was murdered, his girlfriend was brave enough to shoot a video. Um, the good thing about it is that um, she calls the police officer on what he did and he doesn't deny what he did on the video. And self-care is just really important. It, it's gonna just be so necessary going forward as this continues to happen. Um, to take breaks, to get out of town, to talk to your friends, to laugh a little if you can, to cry, to scream, to work out, um, to meditate, to take time away from social media, take time away from your job, especially if you work with a lot of people who are white who may not understand it, who may want you to coach them through understanding it, who may want you to lessen the blow for them when you really need to just take care of yourself. Um, yeah, that's all I can say uh, right now is that self-care is probably the most important thing because I don't even think we realize how much we're affected by it, but even today, like, I couldn't, I couldn't really, like, relax. I couldn't really sleep last night. Um, and me and my boyfriend were kind of, like, in a, in a funk all day because we're living with it. We're living with it. We're living with that threat. Right now, I'm nervous because my boyfriend's not here and it's at night and God forbid something were to happen to him. Um, so self-care is important, guys. Um, and that's really all I have to say. I really can't even really finish this episode because I just, I need to sleep and I need to not think about it anymore. But um, really all I have to say is like, I hope that all of us can find something in ourselves that we can hold on to that reminds us that we deserve to live. We deserve to make it home to our families. We deserve to be grandmas and grandpas and great grandmas and great grandpas and, and see our children graduate from college. We deserve to make it to college. We deserve to make it to fucking high school. We deserve to walk home with our friends and not be worried that someone is going to murder us, we deserve to not have a fear that our mother will be on TV talking about how we were a good person or being blamed for our murders. Um, you know, I think about the fact that I've always thought, like, what would happen if my friend or my boyfriend or my brother or, you know, I now have a nephew and godson, like, I feel very helpless um, because they can be taken away from me and there would be nothing I can do. And 
So yeah, um, that just happened. Like two black men in a matter of a 48 hour turnaround. Murder in the street, murder, just murder. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's that's it. That's gonna wrap up this episode, and um, I will see you guys next week.